This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. And there was a real drama of the moment where I would find myself in the, the ballroom of the Washington Hilton Hotel with 250 lawyers from all around the country. I don't know if you think that's a nice thing to be in the midst of 250 lawyers, but anyway, I was there. And I was going to receive this whistleblower of the year award, and I had no idea what I was going to say went up to the podium. But anyway, at the beginning of the day, my wife Cheryl was a little nervous, so she asked me, well, what are you going to say? What are you going to say? And I told her I had no idea. So we, you know, spent the morning, we toured around Washington, went to all these museums and everything, and I was sensing with anticipation that there was coming this drama of the moment it was coming that night. So in the afternoon, my wife Cheryl again asked me, do you know now what you're gonna say? And I told her again, I have no idea. And so that made her really nervous. So she sat down and she wrote my acceptance speech out on two pieces of paper. Short speech, you know, I'm grateful to live in this great country where truth ethics can win and et cetera. So I, you know, I took the paper, I said, thank you very much. I stuffed it in my pocket that she knew that there was a very high likelihood that I was not going to use her speech. So she said to me, all right, I'm telling you this. If you get up there and you start to fall flat on your face, I'm not going to watch that. I have a key to the room and I'm going to walk out. She said that. And I said, I understand, dear. And I still had no idea what I was going to say. So that started the gathering time, the reception meeting with the orders and the cocktails and all the lawyers are moving around with their drinks in their hands from small group to small group to greet friends and colleagues. I still had no idea what I was going to say. But I noticed that all of the lawyers that I was meeting there, they had these names like Goldberg and Levine and Katz and Shapiro and so forth. And suddenly I realized that God had put me in the middle of the national group of Jewish lawyers in the country, and I still had no idea what I was going to say. But I knew that my goal was to say one name. And if I said that name, I won. 
and that name was the Lord Jesus Christ. So a person from the organizing committee, he knew me, and because I had spoke at a funeral in D.C. in the past, and he knew the kind of person that had a tendency to speak long. So that person came to me and said, now look, he says, uh, you're going to be sitting here at the head table, and you are going to receive your award, and you were to speak for no more than three minutes, he says. And you're not the keynote speaker, he emphasized. The keynote speaker, he'll also be sitting at the head table. That's the Honorable Senator Patrick Leahy, the chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee. He's the keynote speaker, not you. And I said, okay. And I sat down at the head table. So and the person at the podium explained what my whistleblower case was all about, and I was announced as the winner of the 2009 Whistleblower of the Year Award. There was applause, and I walked up to the podium, and I walked. As soon as I hit the first step of that podium, I really felt the drama of the moment. And at that moment, I knew what I was going to say. And so I paused for a moment as I looked over all those dinner tables of people that could have been my family, Jewish lawyers, and, and it was as if the Lord said to me, this is your moment. These Jewish lawyers will never go to a church to hear preaching. And it was as if God said to me, but I've assembled them here tonight. This is a church. You're standing at the church podium. Don't let me down. Preach Christ. So I took a breath, and I started out by saying, I thought I was going to be the only Jew in this meeting but I found out that I'm actually not the only Jew here. And then I proceeded to say, you know, I'd like to tell you about my inspiration to become a whistleblower. My inspiration to be a whistleblower came from a woman, a very brave woman, a Jewish woman, a Jewish woman who was the only Jewish person in a palace of a king. In fact, she was the wife of the king. She was the queen, but she kept it a secret that she was Jewish. No one knew that she was Jewish. She learned of a plot, of a final solution to kill all the Jews where all the Jews are going to be annihilated. And she risked her life to blow the whistle on the killer and all the Jews were saved. She's my inspiration for why I became a whistleblower. I said, does anyone here know who I'm talking about? It was to my surprise, nobody knew. I was surprised. I said, what happened to you in Sunday school class? Anyway, so, but then I said the killer was Haman. And then they all started to make pretend like they had noisemakers. You know? But then I went on to say, actually, I said, there was another person who is my inspiration to be a whistleblower. This person was a man. He's my hero. There was a plot to kill not only all the Jews, but all people. And he risked his life to blow the whistle. As a matter of fact, he did die in the process of blowing the whistle to save the people. And that person is the Lord Jesus Christ, I said. And with that name piercing the deathly silence of unbelief in that room, I thought, I won. And as if the Lord said, you're done. And I just said, thank you very much. And I sat down and I looked at my watch and I'd spoken for 23 minutes. That was the drama of a moment. The drama of a moment. A drama of the unexpected and this is what makes for us life with Christ so exciting. How he meets us in the drama of the moment, the moment, the present, the now. And here in verse 1, when Christ was asked, who was the greatest? That was a drama of the moment. And in that moment, the Lord Jesus looked around and, oh, he finds the perfect prop to make his point in verse 2, and Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them. 
that perfect prop that Jesus was going to use to make his point was a little child. That little child was just there at the right time, and that little child was perfect for the Lord to use at that drama of the moment. This happened to me last week, last week, when part of our things we were doing is we were way up in the mountains of Baja, 15 kilometers south of San Javier. We drove down there, and I started off the road to get to this Rancho Santo Domingo, and I looked at that, and I said, is that a road? It was so rough with rocks and everything. Anyways, we got to this place, Rancho Santo Domingo, run by Senor Umberto, and the place has no electricity, you know, couches are outside with rain and urine, uh, animals all over the place, and a few small solar panels to charge some, very small solar panels, charge a few car batteries that ran a few lights at night. No telephone, no internet, no nothing. Anyway, but I was there, and, and my friend went off to go climb some mountains, I don't know what he was doing, to find some cave paintings, and I said, no, you go, tell me about I'll stay back here. So anyway, I was talking to Jack, and Jack is eight years old, and he's American. And Jack and his mom, Daniela. Daniela came out and greeted us. She's American. She, had, she and Jack had bicycled for three years, 2,000 miles, zigzagging all their way from Los Angeles down through Baja, sleeping in a, a tent and with a dog going along and all their possessions on the bike. And anyways, Danielle is a nuclear proliferation scientist and she has a goal over the next 10 years to zigzag her way down all the way to the tip of Chile by Antarctica with Dak and their dog camping at a tent and more power to them. Anyway, Daniela has been teaching Jack. This is the only education Jack's gotten as they travel their way and stay and work at different ranchos along the way. Very typical down there in ranchos where, you know, you got an older man, the wife's sick, the wife's died, the wife's left, he's alone, so she's trying to help out. So I was talking to Jack about the Bible. And at first, Jack says to me, what's the Bible? But then Jack said, no, you know, he had read half of the first page of the Bible, and he said the Bible did nothing for him, and he came to the conclusion the Bible's not true. And he starts telling me a bunch of stuff about evolution and all that stuff. Now, that was a drama of the moment, and I wondered what to say to the eight-year-old Jack. You know, he says these things about the Bible. And just at that moment, one of the few light bulbs in the place went poof, and it went out. And Senor Umberto, who's in his 70s, he is running around trying, and he finds the light bulb to replace it with. So this ranchero, Senor Umberto, finds the light bulb, he replaces it, and just like this little child in verse 2, this became for me the perfect prop. Just like the child was the perfect prop for the Lord to use in that drama of the moment, that light bulb that Senor Umberto had found became the perfect prop for me to use in this drama of the moment. So I said, Jack, I said, Jack, what do you think would have happened if Senor Umberto just held that light bulb up to the receptacle and didn't screw it in. I said, you know, no light. And Senor Umberto might have said, ah, I tried this light bulb, it doesn't work. I said, Jack, what do you think would have happened if Senor Umberto just would have given a little half turn, that's all, just a little half turn on the light bulb and the receptacle, but he didn't screw in the bulb all the way. 
I said, no light. Signor Alberto might have said, I tried this bulb, it doesn't work. I said, Jack, in order for that light bulb to work, Signor Alberto had to bring the light bulb to the receptacle. He had to patiently screw the bulbs in all the way and then light, Jack, light. And Signor Alberto would have said, I tried this bulb and it does work. There is light. I said, Jack, you only read a half a page of the first page of the Bible, and you said it didn't work for you. I said, you saw no truth. It's just like bringing up the light bulb to the receptacle, not turning. I said, Jack, you're giving it a half turn. I said, Jack, you have to patiently turn the bulb and the receptacle for the light to come on. You have to patiently read the Bible for the light to come on. And so there I was in this drama of the moment, and the Lord gave the perfect prop of the light bulb to use for the teaching. Well, here the Lord is in verse 2 in this drama of the moment, and the Lord was given the perfect prop of the little child for the teaching. And just imagine the scene here of the disciples at that same time. You know, they're ashamed for having been exposed and, and they're wanting to know who's going to be the greatest. And the disciples just had their chest sticking out, wondering, is it me? Am I the greatest? And the Lord looks over at a little child and he calls that little child. He says, come over here. He calls the little child to him. And that little child, how old that little child is, we don't know. But as soon as he's little, just imagine he's little. And the Lord calls a little child to himself. The little child comes closer to the Lord. This little child is now closer to the Lord than any of the disciples. That little child has gotten in the position that the mother of the sons of Zebedee wanted for her sons to be in their disciples when she asked the Lord in Matthew 20, 20, Matthew 20, 20, where it says, then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, what wilt thou? And she saith unto him, grant that these my two sons may sit, the one on thy right hand and the other on thy left in thy kingdom. Now the sons of Zebedee are, are James and John. I mean, there is nothing like a Jewish mother to speak for her children. There's nothing like it. It reminds me of what my mother did when, for me during the Vietnam War when there was a draft in the um, 60s. My mother went down to the draft office and told them that I should not be drafted because I have flat feet. <laughs> Nothing like a Jewish mother. Well, you know, like the apostles, you know, James and John, I mean, what, they can't speak for themselves? I mean, they're grown men. Imagine how they felt when they see their mother ask for them, I wanted my son here. You should tell him you're right. And I said, it was like, Mom, just don't get involved. But they, that wouldn't help. She's a Jewish mother. Anyway, she knew that her sons were above average. That's the definition of a Jewish mother's opinion of her children. They're above average. But what was she was asking was that the Lord was now doing with this little child, calling the little child to get close to him. The Lord sets this little child right in the middle of them, right in the middle of them all, and just imagine how the disciples felt. You know, there was like, what's that child doing here with us? That little child has no place with us. I mean, they wanted to say to the kid, beat it, kid, get lost. But the Lord set that little child right in front of them, not so they could play with the child, but that they could learn from the little, little child. And now with this child in place, the Lord says to them in verse three, verily I say unto you, except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. He says, verily, he says, what I have to say to you 
is very solemn. What I now have to say to you is the truth. And he says, verily. And then he says, I say unto you. What I have to say to you is very personal. It's very direct. And when he says that in verse three, verily I say unto you, it's like he's looking at each one of them individually, eye to eye, one to one, and saying while looking into their eyes of each other person, I have this to say to you, Peter. I have this to say to you, John. I have this to say to you, James. And on and on he goes to each person, just like the Lord in verse three looks at each one of us personally and individually and using our name. He says, I have this to say to you in our name. And so the little child's in front. She's on center stage. And the Lord makes this shocking, really it's a shocking announcement. It's very shocking. He says, except you be converted, he uses the word converted, except you be converted and become as his little children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Oh, the disciples were wanting to know who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And he's saying, never mind about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, but I'm talking about even getting into the kingdom of heaven. And shockingly, he's talking about being converted and becoming as a little child. Converted? I already was converted when I accepted Christ as my Savior. What are you talking about? Converted. I thought when I was converted and I received Christ that that was all I needed to get into heaven. But Christ is again using the word converted, and it's not talking about receiving Christ as Lord and Savior. Christ in verse 3 is not talking about being converted by accepting Christ as personal Savior. He's talking about a conversion to become what we are not naturally a conversion that results in becoming like little children. And then the Lord says that this is a conversion that's so important, it determines whether or not you're going to go into heaven. Heaven? Heaven's on the line? Depending on whether I convert and become like a little child? He says, yes. That's exactly what he's saying in verse 3. Unless a person becomes what they are not naturally, like a little child, he can't enter heaven. Whoa! That's heavy. Unless I become what I am not, like a little child, I can't enter to heaven. Whoa. Okay, that means that I have to convert my thinking to think like a little child. That means that I have to convert my estimation of myself and see myself as a little child sees himself. That means I have to convert what I rely on to rely on what a little child relies on. That means I have to convert my goals and my desires in life to have the same goals that a little child has. That means I have to convert how I see others to see others as a little child sees others. That means I have to convert how I see God as a little child sees God. And just right there, those things I just went over, those are a lot of things to convert my thoughts, my estimation of myself, what I rely on, number four, my goals and desires, number five, how I see others, number six, how I see God. That's a lot of conversions. That's a lot of conversions that we have to do. And those are not just options, those are imperatives to get into heaven. A lot of conversions. But wait, when I look at a little child, I see that that child has got a life of conversions. That child's got conversions all the time. Every time a little child does something wrong and he's corrected with a no, 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 that little child learns, repents, 
and I hope he doesn't do it again, and that little child has been converted. Just like every time we do something wrong and God corrects us with a no, 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 we learn, we repent, and that we don't do that wrong thing again, we become converted, which is why the Lord Jesus used that same word converted when he referred to Peter denying the Lord and Peter learning and Peter repenting and Peter not doing it again of denying the Lord. And the Lord used the word converted to describe Peter's experience in Luke 22, 31. Luke 22, 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. This all means that in our lives, we go through a lot of conversions, many conversions every time we step out of the way, every time we step out of line, every time we step out of the way into some sin and we learn and we step back in line, we step back into the way through repentance, we are converted from that sin. Now, the disciples are wondering, what has this little kid this little child got to do with our question of who's going to be the greatest. And the Lord uses one word to, to show the link between the little child and their question, and the word is therefore. He says in verse 4, Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same as the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Oh, their question of who's going to be the greatest was born out of pride, obviously. Born out of pride, and the Lord was saying they needed to humble themselves away from that question of pride. So the Lord is calling us to look at ourselves, to look at a little child, and learn from that little child how to humble ourselves. Look at a little child, and then look at ourselves and see what we have that that little child does not have. A little child does not have pride. That means that when we have pride and arrogance, that's the time for us to handcuff those two culprits of pride and arrogance take them around the back to the firing line and ready, aim, fire, kill it. And a little child doesn't have the pride of ambition, ambition. And a little child doesn't have the pride of a desire to receive honor from others. And the little child doesn't have a proud desire to dominate others, which means that when we have the ambition and the desire to be honored and to rule others, those are thoughts that have to be taken around the back and shot. And instead of using the word shot, the Bible uses the words mortify, mortify. Colossians 3, 5, Colossians 3, 5. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, covetousness, which is idolatry, for which sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. Little children, they see themselves as little. They are little. They see themselves as little. And little children, little tiny children, they want milk because milk is what they want and they want it'll make them grow. And for us to become like little children means that we ourselves have, uh, see ourselves as little and we want to grow. We should never see ourselves as having arrived, at having stopped growing. A little child never looks at himself and says, oh, I'm all grown up now and I don't need to grow up anymore. No, a little child always knows he's going to grow. And in the same way, we're called to be a little child in 1 Peter 2.2, 2.2. 2, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that she may grow thereby. So we drink in the Bible like a little child drinks his mother's milk to grow. A little child always, you know what a little child's doing? A little child always sees others bigger than himself. 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.